I'm Arafat and I'm in the UK. And I'm Mohammed and I'm in the US. And you're listening to Slow Pit Stop. This is a podcast about Formula One for new fans all around the world. This is an off week for Formula One. We're not having a race this weekend, so we thought we would discuss the new Schumacher documentary. With us is a special guest, Umayma, from the UK. Umayma has been watching Formula One for a very long time. When she started watching, Kimi Raikkonen was the young gun. Umayma, how'd you get into Formula One and who are your favorite teams? Hi there. Um, I'm Umayma, so I've been watching since probably about the 2000, 2001, when I was at university, it started off with just watching, I actually started off with playing like the, the Formula One video games. And then from there, we just kind of got into like the tracks and the races and stuff. But yeah, like you said, Kimi was uh, a young entry at that time. I remember Schumacher at that time. And over the years, I've just kind of carried on watching, dipped in and out of it over the years. I support I support kind of Mercedes and McLaren. At the moment, I'm kind of, I back Lewis Hamilton, and I also really like Lando Norris. Wow, okay, so you were watching Michael Schumacher when he was racing, like back in the Ferrari days? Yeah, back in the Ferrari days. When I started watching, he was on like his winning streak with Ferrari. Wow, so then you went from that, and now you're watching Mercedes domination. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. Yeah, um, I just thought I would... Say so. I miss Schumacher because I, I got into Formula One two thousand seven. So Michael Schumacher had had his first retirement by that point already. Um, but in twenty ten, I went to Silverstone to watch the Grand Prix. My mom actually bought the tickets for me and sent me. I went for my birthday, and the first ever Formula One car I ever saw was uh, Lucas Degrassi in a Virgin. I, I was sat at Cops Corner with my dad, and Lucas Degrassi came out, revved the engine, and went away. And I was like, "Oh wow, cool! A Formula One car. The engine sounds." Uh, amazing yeah, wow. and the second car to come out was michael schumacher oh my god <laughs> uh, and it was in the silver mercedes and you could just see the bright red helmet it was a really really sunny day you could just see the bright red helmet shining and you just felt you know the whole everyone the atmosphere just changed and the, you're like wow we're, we're watching something really special here um so obviously the documentaries come out this week and it marks uh 30 years since michael schumacher came into formula one so we thought we'd dedicate this week's episode to talking a bit more about him. So we had a documentary come out, Michael Schumacher. For me, I'm a newer fan. I have not seen him race. So this was my like education about Michael Schumacher, the way my education about Ayrton Senna was the Senna documentary. But personally, I think the Senna documentary was probably a little bit stronger um, than this one was. What did you guys think? Just overall, you know, two second thoughts on the documentary, how it went. So I would agree. I, I I kind of watched it just to see, you know, obviously, because I like I said, I remember him racing and I wanted to see how they kind of portrayed this. And I was expecting something like the Senna doc- documentary, but I don't think it was as strong. I mean, so you watched the documentary for you. This is like not history. This is like a reminder almost. Yeah. Did you did you agree, do you feel like it accurately portrayed you know, the kind of the sentiment that I know that the documentary sort of skips over his Ferrari years. Like it, co- it does 2000 pretty in detail. And then 2001 to 2003 is just like, oh, yeah, it, it happened. For anyone that's new to uh, Formula One um, and doesn't know a lot about Michael Schumacher, I, I wrote a very quick uh, biography that I'll go through. Um, so Michael Schumacher was born in 1969 in the West German town of Hearth. His father was a bricklayer who ran a go-kart track and his mother ran the track's canteen. He started racing at the age of four 
using a bit of a Frankenstein go-kart that his father had built for him from discarded parts. And by the age of six, he won his first club championship. At the age of 12, he wanted to race in the German Junior Kart Championship, but needed to be 14 to get a German license. But he found a way around the rules. He got a racing license from Luxembourg and joined the championship that way. By the age of 15, he became German Junior Karting Champion and progressed to Formula 3 with the help of Willy Weber in 1989. He won the Macau Grand Prix in 1990 uh, without a rear wing. And I think, actually, there's a lot to that Macau Grand Prix. We might go into it in a future episode. But anyway, he won and moved into sports car as a Mercedes junior driver. Most people thought, you know, the natural thing is to go from Formula 3 to Formula 3000 and eventually Formula 1 and moving into sports car, um, you probably wouldn't have a chance of getting into Formula 1. However, in 1991, Formula 1 driver Bertrand Gachot, who raced for Jordan, got into a road rage incident with a taxi driver and sprayed the guy with CS gas. He thought he'd get a fine for self-defence, but instead, one week before the Belgian Grand Prix, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison, of which he is served Is that two. what happened? That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> That's it is, isn't crazy. it? It's wild. <laughs> okay. And when he got out of jail, he came back to Jordan and was like, uh, I'm here, where's my seat? And they were like, um, you've been in jail, we've given it away. Oh my God. Uh, but actually, what's wild is he carried on racing in Formula 1. He went to another team called LaRousse. Um, but yeah, he fully expected to get back in his car. But anyway, so it left his Formula One car empty, giving Michael Schumacher his chance to race for the team. He impressed so much when he tested the car that Jordan paid $150,000 for him to be released by Mercedes. And um, his performance at Spa had every team up and down the pit lane paying attention. And by the very next race, he was already signed for Benetton, which is now Alpine. Uh, and finishing the points for every race for the rest of the season where he didn't retire. The next year, his first full season in Formula 1, he won his first race, which was at Belgium. And up to that point, only two other German Grand Prix uh, drivers had won races. Um, that's Wolfgang von Trips and Joachim Maas. And in 94 and 95, Schumacher became world champion. He moved to Ferrari in 1996 and built one of the most dominant teams in sporting history before going on to win another five world championships from 2000 to 2004 and taking 91 wins in total. For context, at the time, the person with the second most wins was Prost with 51 and Senna with 41. Nigel Mansell was in third with 31 wins. So it was a level of triumph and dominance no one had ever seen in the sport. And still to this day, for many people, Formula One equals Michael Schumacher. And I don't think there will ever be a conversation about who the greatest driver of all time was that doesn't include Michael Schumacher. Incredible. So today we are planning on discussing the Michael Schumacher documentary, what we thought about the documentary. We'll talk a little bit to Umaima about what it was like watching Schumacher while he was racing. And then, of course, we'll have a conversation about the greatest driver of all time. So let's start with everyone's thoughts on the documentary. If you want to rate it out of seven, seven is a weird number. Let's rate it out of 10. Is that what you do in the UK? You rate numbers out of seven? No, I picked seven because he had seven world championships. Yeah, exactly. Everything was seven. <laughs> he had seven stars on his helmet. <laughs> That's where well, the seven came from. Me. Let's rate and... it out of 91 for his 91 wins. No. Oh, okay. but, uh, no, but Mick Schumacher, Mick Schumacher races the number 47. Because he's racing four seven seven is Michael. Oh yeah, good good on you, Mick. Let's see if you okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's rate it out of seven championships. Uh, so Umayma, what what would you mark it out of seven? 
I'd say it was probably actually a four or a five um, because just like, I think I just expected more from it. I obviously had watched the Senna documentary in the past and I thought that was a really good documentary. And I don't know if I was just expecting a lot more from this, but I felt it was a bit slow. Um, my memory of, of watching Michael Schumacher was all from the Ferrari years, which I don't think was really covered very much in this. Um, but it was interesting to see, like, you know, where he came from and, or, you know, the, the story with Benetton um, and, and the way he got to Ferrari and then the, the work that he did at Ferrari to, to get them back to winning. Um, so all of that was really interesting, but I did think it was a little bit slow um, and, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't what I was expecting from the documentary. Basically. Yeah, I think I agree with that rating out of seven. I'd probably give it a four out of seven as well. It was slightly underwhelming, but again, my, like, original introduction to Formula One was the Senna documentary. So my bar was already very high. Like I didn't I didn't know anything about Ayrton Senna or Formula One. So that was really teaching me. And going into this documentary now I knew who Michael Schumacher was, but I think I don't know if that kind of spoiled it for me. Like like maybe we should have had somebody who's not, who doesn't know anything about Formula One kind of rate the documentary because like you were there and I already know stuff. So we're kind of expecting it to to be better. Arfa, what do you think out of seven? So I would give it a four as well. Um, for me, I think the, the things I kept comparing it to in my mind, again, were Senna is the obvious one. But I think what Senna's strength was, is it, it dealt, Senna was obviously a very complicated person with a long and interesting career. And it dealt with one aspect of his career, which I think was the rivalry with Prost. Um, but uh, the other thing that I think about and the other documentary that I loved was the Last Dance, the Michael Jordan one. And I watched that knowing nothing about basketball at all. I don't even know the rules to basketball or anything. And I feel like the the Schumacher documentary tried to cover so many different things, you know, his childhood, the Benetton years, the Ferrari years, um, and then the whole family aspect after he finished racing as well. And I wonder if his story, they would have done it more justice by doing it as something, you know, with six episodes or eight episodes or something like that. Um because for me as well, I felt the pacing was weird. Uh, I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about how it sort of was good up until um, the first championship. And then it sort of ended very quickly or changed direction. Yeah, I think it would be better almost like a, a series. Like each episode covering one aspect rather than what they had tried to do with the, the documentary. I think... Whereas Senna's, Senna's one was like a really good just standalone. Yeah, I think you can do a documentary where you focus on someone's life. Like, that's possible to do. But this was not very good at that. And and I think part of the reason is they wanted to create tension. They wanted to make... Like, you can't really cover Schumacher and his Ferrari years because he's just winning everything. He doesn't really have a, a rival until you get to Alonso. No, but I think, I think he, probably had, he probably had two or three of those years where he was the dominant car. I think it was, you know, the... 2004 one where he just won everything and set loads of records um and then 2001 again but there were years like 2000 and uh 2003 where other people could have won the championship um i think there's ways of creating tension but like the center one where the theme here was the rivalry with prost the, the schumacher documentary it started off as you know this working class guy getting into formula one and then it's talked about how he moved from benetton to Ferrari and you know even if they, the documentary was just that bit the the move to Ferrari from 96 to 2000 and all the things he did um 
the way he tested so much, the way he pushed himself physically. I mean, a lot of the things that we think are standard for a Formula One driver now, in terms of the fitness, in terms of the team management, in terms of all those things, he was the first to do that. He set that benchmark. And so even that in of itself, without even getting to the Ferrari dominance, would have been interesting. But I think they just tried to give you little tasters yeah. of so many things. Yeah, like... If you are already a Schumacher fan, you'll recognize a lot of those things. And like you said, it will trigger your memory and go, oh, I remember that. I remember that. But if you're a new fan, I just felt it wasn't even a tease that made me go, I want to know more. I just, yeah, I I feel like it tried to cover maybe too many things. Yeah, Yeah, like it was interesting when we we got to the 2000 championship and like paused it and checked the timestamp. And I was like, oh, man, we do not have enough time to cover his Ferrari years. And I really thought they were going to like properly go over that and then it was like a montage they're like and then michael won everything until you know, so. <laughs> oh, but you were but yeah. i think also i think also the other thing like so you know, like i was saying there's there's bits of his story that could have been told so or bits of formula one that could have been told so like like the development of ferrari yeah. like the yeah. development of safety and you know in the in the the senna documentary i remember there was one like you know they had like a driver's meeting there was a scene from the senna documentary they have a driver's meeting they're talking about the safety and there's you know there'll there'll be things like that within schumacher's career and schumacher's story as well um that would have just kind of made so schumacher was like this untouchable person you know, he was winning everything. He was the top of his game. He was, he was like Arfat said in the bio, bio, he won 91 races that, that hadn't been heard of before. And I think having a couple of those, that those kind of, you know, a, a bit more about what he was like would have made him more relatable as a person. They did touch on that with the family thing, with his wife talking about it and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, I just don't feel like they did that, that, part of it justice probably yeah i have like my own i wrote notes down on well, as i was watching the documentary and like so professional of <laughs> thank you i i learned from the best <laughs> but um so I, I have some notes that i want to read uh so the first thing i thought is that there are so many parallels between michael schumacher and first with senna then later with mika hakkinen with De- dennis Villeneuve, with all of his like title champion uh, rivals there's so many parallels between that and what we're seeing in this season with Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen like I think Ross Braun said Michael Schumacher will make the difference on the days when the winner is in the balance and Max Verstappen said something very similar almost word for word about Lewis Hamilton earlier in the season um, I also thought it's funny that everyone was like you know it's Benetton is dominant or not dominating but is doing so well in, in 94 95 and, you know, this is like a T-shirt company. And it's just the way people talk about Red Bull, like they're an energy drink company. How are they beating Mercedes? Things like that. So I thought that was funny. Um, and then also, you know, talking about the Damon Hill Schumacher crash and just there's so many crashes he's had. And we could talk about that in a bit about just his like legacy with all the crashes. But I was just thinking if these kind of crashes happen, happen today, um, then I don't know, like if current twitter social media could handle it i like the crashes happening today are just racing incidents you know between lewis and max okay maybe one of them is slightly more at fault but michael schumacher was basically intentionally running into his champ his like other drivers and he was disqualified from the entire season so can you imagine if that ha- can you imagine if like max verstappen or lewis hamilton was disqualified from the rest of this season it would be like an entire flame war. it would be huge 
So, and it's pretty funny because we never really got to see the public sentiment to that because like, you know, there was no social media in 1997. Um, when you get to modern day and you think about Lewis Hamilton, he's kind of replicated that a little bit and you can make all kinds of similarities and arguments that maybe he hasn't, but you know, he has more than 91 wins. He has seven world champions. And I just feel very lucky to actually be watching. Like I wasn't there during Michael Schumacher, but feel very lucky to be watching him now. I think, I think like you said, the, you know, you, you see aspects of Schumacher and current drivers like Vettel, like Lewis Hamilton, obviously winning uh, the same sort of numbers like Max Verstappen and his speed, and when Schumacher came in and met Senna and Prost. Um, I made a little note at one point, because seeing all these different things, you know, you see Schumacher, that they take the photo to start with, and he's he's there with Nigel Mansell and Senna and Prost, and then he's fighting Mika Hakkinen, and then he's fighting with, you know, there's Alonso, there's Barrichello, there's, um, he comes back with Mercedes, and he stood next to Nico Rosberg, and then you know, there's Lewis Hampton, and I wrote a note that said, Michael Schumacher is like hmm. the queen. Like, you see the queen, and then there's like photos of her with like five <laughs> presidents and like like a hundred prime ministers and whatever else, and like all these people come and go, and the queen is constant. I, I, it almost felt like that was Michael Schumacher. Like there was a point where Formula One was rich people who could afford to go racing and almost did it as a hobby, but then Schumacher was the real professional in the sense, you know. He he was an athlete. I'm not sure, you know, you see lots of videos of Senna keeping really fit and things like that. But I, I think Schumacher was a true athlete in the sense of how he built his team around him, how he conditioned himself and how he did testing. And I think that's a real contrast to current Formula One. You were allowed to test and Schumacher was testing 12, 13, 14 hours a day developing 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 he probably had an engineering knowledge that current drivers don't are they not allowed to test the car as much now is it only like confined to winter testing yeah it's it's a cost saving thing because basically a lot of people complain that you know the the big rich teams can race all day long and show up with like 500 engines and whatever and the poor teams can't keep up so they said okay we can't initially the rules were we can't make you all spend the same amount of money but we can restrict what you do with that money so you're only only allowed three, four, five engines, you're all only allowed X number of miles. I I remember the time where testing was like, basically the week before the race, they'd be at the the track for the week before the race and they'd be on the track every day before the race doing the The testing. They're just just practicing and practicing and practicing. And obviously, like, if you're going to do that much practice, you know, it's like the free practice Mm -hmm. time, but like free practice is like for the the entire week before the race. so yeah, so they they had the opportunities were different at mm-hmm. that time. Wow, and the, the, the stories of Monaco where, um, you know, they they do free practice in Monaco on the Thursday, um, and they have a rest on Friday and then qualifying Saturday and Sunday, and it's so that they can have like the casinos open or something on the Friday there. Or I think it used to be linked to a bank holiday or something like that. I can't remember the details, but Michael Schumacher would fly back to Italy on the Friday, and keep testing at the Ferrari Fiorano test track. Hmm while everyone else was partying in Monaco. That's how dedicated and committed he was. Yeah, I really like that they opened the documentary with his Monaco lap, because I think, like, that's one of the great laps, right, is Michael Schumacher at Monaco, the way we talk about, like, Lewis Hamilton in Singapore. Yeah, so I I really like that opening shot. I thought the pacing of the documentary up until, like, towards the end, I thought was pretty good. But, you know, the end of it, when they kind of are wrapping up, I really felt a lot of the emotion was... 
I don't know if you felt this, this way, but I felt like it was kind of contrived. Yeah, I don't know. I think obviously that seeing the family, I think seeing the family's statements and how the family were responding, I think that was mm. really sad. Um, I think it's a little bit confusing because see when when like we don't know what Michael's state is at the moment. Like nobody yeah. really knows what is his his physical state, what's his mental state. We know that he was obviously he went into the coma. He's 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 been you know he's had a, a serious injury, and his wife. I think there was a line where his wife said um that with us but he's different he's different but he yeah he's with us but he's still he's he's different and we're still a family and he protected us you know he he protected us and now we're protecting him and so obviously that is but I think because we don't know it's difficult to relate I think that's maybe what you're talking about it is really sad and it's sad to to think about the fact that he is that you know he is he's in that state now and I don't know if that's what you're... Well, you're, I think I was kind of comparing it in my head it. to Senna. Like, I didn't know Ayrton Senna was going to die. Yeah, but the Senna, Senna's thing was... But the Senna's thing was completely... All right, okay, you didn't know. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but then, the, you know... So when you started watching the documentary, you didn't know... No, I didn't know he was going to die. No, he didn't know. He was sat next <laughs> to me when he was watching it. And then he, his, his Anum was there with us. And Anum goes, oh, is this the race that he died? And then Mohammed goes, he's dead. <laughs> and I, was, I didn't know what to say. And I went, uh. yeah. Okay, that's not funny. We shouldn't be laughing about that. But we're laughing at Mohammed. We're laughing at yeah, Mohammed's reaction. Yeah, we're laughing at Mohammed. But see, that's what I mean. In the documentary, but, like, then they, like, go back to clips from earlier in the documentary. But then, obviously, then that's really shocking for you. That's, like, a big yeah. revelation. But, like, we yeah, all yes. knew that Senna was died, yeah. had died. But I think obviously then you're talking about it from a different thing. You know, this this great driver who died in this race in this awful yeah. way. Um, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a different sentiment. Um, I do think it's sad. And I do think it's really sad, like what he's he is like at the moment. Mm. Um, it's, For it's, me, what, what, after he had the accident and everything, I think, I don't know, as a fan or just curiosity, you want to know what's going on. You want to know. And the family never yeah. said anything. And like Mick is in Formula One and still never says anything. I don't know. The way I came across is they, because Michael was so private, it's almost like they've made a promise to him to continue being private. But for them, this was a way to let the world know how they were feeling. And, you know, the things come through. So Carino is saying, I miss him. And Mick, when he's talking about the way he wishes he could speak to his father. So I think those give you hints of how unwell he is. And that does make it really sad. And I saw somebody put on Twitter, I, I, I feel that after watching this film, we will never see Michael Schumacher in public again. And I said, do you think this documentary was a goodbye letter to Michael by the family because they were so involved? And uh, at Coda Queen replied, hard to know if it was a goodbye as only those closest to him know the reality of Michael as he is now. I do think, however, it was a possibility, possibly getting people to remember life before the accident and to show Michael, we would have gotten a known retirement had it not happened. Yeah. Um I, I really was hoping for like just like a a shot of him. But then maybe if his state is like too ill to show, maybe that's probably why they didn't do it. Because in the past But he was private but... when he was fit. He was private yeah. when he was yeah. super fit. I think we're so I don't think they were they're they're never gonna release that. They're never gonna yeah. let people know what he's been like since he's had his accident. Yeah. Like that's not going to be anything that's ever going to be public mm. knowledge. Because I think, uh, and it's odd for us as fans to, because we need to respect the wishes of privacy, mm. right? Because actually, what right do we have to that information? None. You know, it's his personal life, it's his medical life. We we don't have a right to it. And 
you know, we we talked about Star Wars last week. It's it's that thing of, you know, Star Wars fans feel they have a right to Star Wars and can say, no, I think it should be like this. I think that it's almost like Formula One fans. We feel we have a right to people's lives and the drivers and to know. And actually mm-hmm. we don't. We get to appreciate the the brilliance. Um, and we can talk about how complicated some people are. You know, we, we can touch on Michael's crashes and things in a minute and how the, the documentary dealt mm-hmm. with it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a funny thing to get your head around someone so famous and so public that now we need to respect that about them. But the, the fact that he is unwell, it, it made me think about how they dealt with some of the rivalries that he had because he did have a reputation for being a very, very... Yeah, he was... I was going to say tough driver on the edge, driver. but actually he went over the edge a few times and was disqualified from a whole season. And they dealt with it in a very, I think you got some hints from Mark Webber and Damon Hill in the documentary where they say, you know, he, he uh, pushed things over the line. He just couldn't get his head around uh, wanting to lose. Let me try and find. I wrote something down about what yeah, Weber said. While you find it, um, yeah, Bronson, I was just going to say that it was kind of yeah, reminding Karen. me of like you know Gene Todd, his um, former manager at Ferrari, said at a certain point like, "Yeah, I go to his house and I watch races with Michael." And so I thought from yeah. from that statement that maybe he is good enough to like communicate because uh, he's not in a coma anymore. We know that. We know he's like not in a coma. Yeah. Um, but that's so that's why i was thinking that maybe he was well enough to face the camera but i think you're right that you're, we were never going to see that like he was so private yeah um yeah what, what was the... so I've, I've written it i've written some quotes down here from the documentary so it, it was when he hit jacques villeneuve and um montezemolo says for michael it was a psychologically difficult moment ross braun says michael was convinced jack hit him when he saw the video his commitment and competitiveness went a step too far and talking more about his crashes and things, Mark Webber described it as a paranoid perfection because he, he was in this pursuit of perfection. And I don't know, it was, we talk about it now in, in the Hamilton Verstappen crashing into each other. When do you let go and think about the overall championship? Whereas for every moment, Michael would not let go. That's how competitive he was. Um, and it, it upset people. It upset a lot of people. And I remember when... Um, I can't remember what year it was. It was when he came back after retirement. There was a moment where he almost put Rubens Barrichello, Barrichello was driving for Williams at the time, into the wall. And Martin Brundle said, Hmm. it's a real shame that he's done that because for Michael, he was obviously not in a car that's going to win the championship. But coming out of retirement, it was his chance to move on from those sort of dirty tricks. And instead, he's just kept doing them. Where was it that he purposely crashed in qualifying to end the session? Uh, Monaco. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has that kind of reputation that, you know, a lot of people will say that Senna was like that too. And then Schumacher was like that. And so they say the greatest drivers have to be like that. And they kind of point to Max Verstappen as just a continuation of being a good driver. But it makes me think about how Lewis has pretty much been a clean driver. And I think it's... Yeah, he hasn't really, he hasn't been able to act out on the track like that. So I don't know, do you need to be a hard, aggressive driver in order to make it and and be a great driver? What do you think, Omaima? So I think think that's really true. Like, if you look at, so from memory, from when Michael used to be at Ferrari, and when I I remember watching the, the races at the time, he was on his winning streak. But I never really liked him at the time. You know, there was obviously this this recognition that he was a great driver. 
and like nobody could beat him nobody could touch him but I never really liked him because he had this air of arrogance mm. and he mm. had that no one's ever going to touch me kind of thing um, and then he did this like you know it was a dirty racing it was a crashing into people and doing these these random things um, and you know, you saw a little bit of that, of that in Vettel when I remember, you know, a few years ago when Vettel was on a winning streak and now you see mm. that in Max. You saw that a bit in Rosberg when he was winning. So there are a lot of the drivers as they come through the championships to win the championships, they, they do seem to have that. But Lewis doesn't. Mm. And I don't know um, if that's because we're Lewis fans and we just we kind of think, oh, yeah, Lewis, Lewis doesn't do that. But I think actually genuinely, if you think about it, there's not these the kind of dirty tricks that other people have played. I don't think Lewis does that. Lewis is very committed to Mm -hmm. what he does, um, but I think he's a clean Mm -hmm. driver. I was reading somewhere that, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was, they were saying it's interesting that Lewis Hamilton's hero is Senna because he drives like Prost (laughs) and Prost was, you know, the professor. He was the, I know he, I think everyone does dirty things. You know, Lewis Hamilton was disqualified from a race once for lying. So but that was a team order. I don't think everyone, anyone's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, um, Prost had his moments too. But I, I think he was a cleaner driver. Um, and I wonder if, you know, if we'd had a long documentary, like eight episodes or whatever, instead of this a single one, they could have dedicated an episode to dealing with what Mark Webber called this paranoid perfection mm-hmm. and what it means to be a champion because I, I think yeah you're right the champions come in two two forms those that push everything to the edge and then those that you know I don't think people like Jackie Stewart or Jim Clark were mm. dirty they, they were your, your clean driver so to speak so I think it would have been interesting to deal with that and how complicated Schumacher was because he was clearly a genius I don't know with him being unwell is it seen as unsavory to talk yeah. about those so things? Yeah, so on that, I actually want to ask Romaima. No. So, you know, there's like a whole thing when, some, when one of the drivers is dominating and winning, everybody hates him. Like we see it with Lewis, we saw it with Sebastian. Uh, so you were there when Michael Schumacher was dominating. You said, you know, you didn't really like him. Do you feel like his change in reputation is warranted? Is it just because he was in the accident? Like, or do you think that just that since he's not in the scene anymore, now everyone loves him? Like, what do you think? So I think lots of people loved him at mm-hmm. the time. And I think I think it's one of those when you look back and you look at like all of the great things that he achieved. And obviously he did achieve a lot through his racing and he did have that arrogance. But maybe, like Arafat was saying, maybe, you know, it's not just in Formula One. Even if you look at other sports, you know, the, the, the greats, they do, you do have to carry a little bit of arrogance because that's where the, the kind of confidence mm-hmm. comes from. Um, and maybe... You know, it would have been maybe even nice to see that he was portrayed or he was he seemed to be arrogant, but actually people misunderstood him. You know, like Arfat was saying, he was he was really well liked by his his mm-hmm. team. He made everyone feel liked in his team. The, the, the documentary touched on that. He was the one that knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he even paid attention to the chef and everyone in his team knew him mm-hmm. and liked him. And it would have been nice to kind of see that side and be like, you know, okay, on the racing track, he was this aggressive driver that wanted mm-hmm. to win, but he was a he was a nice guy, um, and obviously he wasn't. You know, they, they did touch on that a little bit, but it would have been nice to kind of hear more yeah. about that. I think. I think we got that in Last Dance as well. You know, with Michael Jordan, because a lot of people that didn't like Michael Jordan still don't. Um, 
Um, I still don't, but it, it touches on how he's a complicated person and there are those who he's an absolute mm. hero to and there's those that think he's the devil. And I think that complicated nature of Michael Schumacher, we just got little glimpses. Um, but like you said, uh, I think I think we could have delved deeper into that. So we just, we're going to wrap up in a bit, but before we do... Um, Umayma, you've seen Michael Schumacher drive, you've seen Sebastian drive, you've seen Lewis drive. Who do you think is the most dominant driver? Or is that not really something we can even determine? I think it's really difficult because the, the eras are completely yeah. different. You know, the the if you look at the cars, the style of racing, you know, one of the things that struck me about the documentary was how much the safety mm. has changed, how much the, the, the overall way people race mm. has changed. Um you know, if you look at some of the earlier clips that they were showing, they had the stewards, the, the guy that waves the, the checkered flag at the end, yeah. standing on the track, waving the checkered flag. Like, you can't imagine things like that anymore. Um, so I think it's a totally different era. They're different, driving different mm. cars. Um, I, I think they're all great in their own way. I think, obviously, Michael Schumacher has, you know, nobody can deny the number of championships and the number of races and everything that he has won. Um, and he will always be up there. But I think, as I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Lewis, so um, I would put him over mm. Michael. Well, uh, I'll quickly go to our Twitter page because I put it on our our Twitter um, to the vote, uh, and we got we got eighty four percent saying Michael Schumacher is the greatest of all time, and sixteen percent saying he isn't. Hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of people out there. Uh, I might just share some yeah. of the tweets uh, while we're on uh, for what people have said. So we've got one from Soren saying, Senna was the greatest driver of all time until he died. He had the most talent, obviously, but then Michael came. And even Senna knew Michael would be a big problem. Mm. I'd, say, I'd say they share P1 for the greatest. Senna in raw talent and Shumi in overall package. Um, and then I've got... Uh, there's a tweet from Joe the Goat that says, generally, I admire sports stars that dominated their respected sports. And I don't really know where Schumacher means in South Africa, be- beside being a legend of the sport. Um, and then someone called Aishi, who creates uh, some great Formula One artwork, if people want to check that out, said, I love the Schumacher documentary. Uh, Michael is my role model and the documentary perfectly showed everything I admire about him. The part I liked the most about the documentary was it focused less on his victories and more on the work he did to get Ferrari back on yeah. to winning championships. Um, uh, and she's at Vortex by Aishi if you want to see some of her work. And finally, Andre Castello says, uh, I did like the documentary a lot. If it's better than Senna, I can't really compare hmm. uh, because I haven't watched it in a long time. For me, I think... <sighs> The thing about the question of who is the greatest of all time is a really, really difficult one. Lewis Hamilton was the reason I started watching Formula One. There's a thing about hero worship. Probably, you know, when you're younger and the person that gets you into a sport, you think they're the greatest. And then as you grow up, you start to sort of objectively look at things. You know, as a kid, I can imagine having, you know, a Schumacher poster or a Senna poster. But now as like a man in my 30s, I'm not going to have a poster of you know, Alex Albon on my wall anymore. Um, so I think you you probably will always have an emotional attachment to the driver that got you into the sport. Uh, and even if, you know, 10 years down the line, let's say there's a brand new driver we've never heard of who wins 200 races and 50 championships and things, 
we will oh, all yeah. still have that emotional reaction to the driver that got us into the sport. Um, so I think no one can really say who is the greatest. Well, I think I can say, and my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> my opinion, of course, the greatest can. of all of time <laughs> is actually Mario Andretti. No one else has won a Formula One uh, championship and an Indy championship. And as an American, I thought Nigel Mansell did. Nobody else from America has won. <laughs> 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 uh, well, no, I I agree with you though. I don't think I, you know. In you know, we're talking about basketball. In basketball, there's a big conversation about who's the greatest of all time. Is it Jordan or is it LeBron James? And people really fight about that. Like they get into it. And I think for a long time we're going to see the same thing between Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher. And, you know, in basketball, they, there's other, like, big names, like Kobe Bryant, massive name, Shaquille O'Neal, massive name. But when it comes to the greatest of all time, it's always between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And I think when it comes to Formula One, we'll have these other drivers. We'll have, like, the – the um, what's Damon Hill's father's name? Uh, Graham, Graham Hill. We'll have, like, Graham Hill. We'll have, like, Jackie Stewart. We'll have uh, – but then it'll always come down to Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah, I, I, I think – it was really interesting to watch it for me, having watched races and things at the time. It was a really interesting watch. Um, it was interesting to see all of the other um, drivers as well and kind of reminisce about things that, that used to be mm-hmm. at that time. Um, it was, like Herbert said, it was it showed a kind of more human side to mm-hmm. Michael and it would have been nice to, I think, see probably a little bit more of that. Um, but yeah, the discussion about the greatest is, I think, not not going to be one that is going to ever be resolved. It will always be changing. Yeah, until Max Verstappen wins eight world championships, and then we have to reckon with that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not so just before we end, uh, I've got a little quiz. One I've left in the show notes, so hopefully you don't have those up. Um, but obviously, Michael Schumacher was the first person to win from Germany for decades and decades. I think... Um, the last one was 77 before he came. So he inspired a whole generation of German kids to take up karting. Uh, and, you know, we had uh, loads of people after him. So obviously his brother, Ralph Schumacher, Nico Rosberg, but I guess he, he was inspired by his dad. But Sutil, Timo Glock, Hulkenberg, Sebastian Vettel. I remember there was a point where there were five or six German drivers on the grid um, and somehow now we've got to a point where we can't even sell tickets to a German hmm. Grand Prix. But um, we said Michael was the first winner uh, since uh, Jochen Maas in 1977. But there have been seven people that have won races for Germany. So between the two of you, oh let's see if God. you can name them. Sebastian. Vettel. <laughs> okay, Vettel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Rosberg. Um, yeah. uh, Hulkenberg. No, Hockenberg couldn't even finish on the podium. Oh, come on. I don't um, <laughs> oh, yeah. He couldn't even. <laughs> um, I have no idea. <laughs> Kiki Rosberg. No, he raced for Finland. Oh. Rosberg's from we, everywhere. So we, got Vettel, we got Rosberg. How many other seven, Belgium? you said? Yeah. We got another what is five it with the number bank? seven in Michael Schumacher and German drivers? I don't like it. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, and this is episode seven of our podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, spooky, spooky. Yuri Vips. Um, so, <laughs> no, Yuri Vips is like Russian. Or no, he's not Russian. He's, he's also Estonian, not in Formula isn't he? One. <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, that's true. Um, so I'll give you two. So the the two people before Michael, you've not said Michael, but the two people before Michael were Wolfgang von Trips, who won in 1961 for Ferrari, and Jochen Mass, uh, who won in 73 and 77. Um, so you've said Vettel and, and Rosberg. Schumacher, so that's five. Um, okay, and who else? <laughs> Same surname. Is it? Is it? Ralph Schumacher. Oh, Ralph Schumacher. That's so good. Fine. How did I forget about his brother? So you've got six. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone did. Uh, so you've got six. Can you guess the last one? Shall I tell you the team he raced for or the team that he won? Tell us his first name so he was and in his Jordan. last name. He was what? In Jordan. 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 So Jordan eventually became Spiker, Force India. But pre-2010. Racing Point. I don't know. So think, think baked know. beans. Baked beans. Is that a UK joke? I'm too US to understand. Heinz Harold. Oh, Franklin. I don't yeah. know what that is. <laughs> but those are the seven people from Germany that won Formula One. That races. was hard. Why would you give us that question? But also, I got confused about the question because I thought you've meant After, seven yeah, people same. since That's Michael Schumacher. Not including Michael Schumacher. I can't remember the exact figure, but I think there's over 50 people from Germany that have raced in Formula One mm. over the years. Yeah, I wasn't going to name, I name yeah, I wasn't gonna get you to name all 50. <laughs> I just went for the winners. <laughs> Look, my Formula One knowledge starts in 2010. So I don't know anything that happened before that, except that Lewis won. Then there's that whole thing with Alonso. Or that Ayrton Senna died until yeah. you watched the documentary. <laughs> Which was spoiled for me. Welcome to Formula One. Yeah, one lap before it happened. No, no, no. It was like yeah. when he turned the corner. And then she was like, oh, is this yeah. the part where he dies? And I was like, what? He what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this time though, when it when they put it in the Schumacher documentary, I saw it coming. I was like, oh, oh, I know what they're gonna do yeah. now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. All right, thank you so much for joining us today, Umaima. Um, we will be back September twenty sixth with the Russian uh, Grand Prix review, and hopefully, we'll be talking about the current championship. Uh, if our listeners like this format, where on the off weeks we just cover another topic, then you know that's something we will probably keep doing. Uh, let us know on Twitter and Instagram at Slow Pit Stop. Uh, and thank you for joining us. <laughs>